All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Yo, 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 what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo, tapping in with another QLS classic. This week, we're going to take it back. We're going to take it all the way back. This is almost our first episode. This is episode number two from September 14, 2016, with none other than the legendary producer, engineer, and musician, Bob Power. Bob talks about working with Stetsasonic, D'Angelo, A Tribe Called Quest, and none other than our fearless cult leader and sweet tea drinker, Quest Love, along with the roots. Travel back to one of the episodes that started it all on QLS. It's Fontigolo. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> one, Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. My name is Questo. Yeah. I am a. Yeah. This is my show. Yeah. The Love Suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. I am Fontilga. Yeah. Can't you tell? Yeah. Go order some food. Yeah. Cause I'm hungry as hell. Roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Steve. Yeah. Chicken parm. Yeah. Douchebag. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Bill. Yeah. I was the first guest. Yeah. And now I'm on the show. Yeah. With Quest. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Bill. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, My name is Bob. 
Yeah. I ain't no junkie. Yeah. My name is Bob. Yeah. I sure am funky. Suprema roll call. Suprema, 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 Suprema roll call. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is Questlove, and this is Questlove Supreme. Uh, welcome to our show. How did I get here? I do not know. But they asked me, and I'm here, and I'm here for you. Brought a few friends with me to help me explore art, culture, music, food. So my my co-host with the co-most uh, is Sir Fontigolo. What's going on? Fontigolo, yes, of course, uh, formerly of Little Brother, currently of the Foreign Exchange. One of my favorite cats ever. One of, like more than any book, your 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 Instagram, your Instagram, and your 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 Twitter uh, musings and and your wisdom is some of the best reading. Toilet seat reading I've <laughs> ever done. Hey, I gotta keep hey, it brother. real. Hey, bro. Hey, look, hey, that's an honor. I gotta yeah. keep it real. Right, Instead of right. a good book, maybe my, back in the '90s it was Black Tail, but now it's Fontigolo's. And my IG. I would think about that when I'm crafting my next tweet. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> would Questlove shit to this? <laughs> <laughs> should I? Maybe I you know, before I write this next you one forty. S at the end of right, it. Right, yeah. My tweets. <laughs> I'm honored to be here, man. Yeah, Fonte is like one of my favorite thinking cats of 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 of, of all time. So, I'm I'm, I'm honored, extremely man. honored that he's here. Uh, next to Fonte is uh, Steve, aka Sugar Steve. <laughs> How you doing, bro? I'm not feeling well, but hello. <laughs> Steve, uh, I've known for about near 20 years. Uh, Steve was an assistant engineer at Electric Lady Studios uh, and has worked on practically every record that I did in that building. Voodoo by D'Angelo, Like Water for Chocolate with Common, Mama's Gun with Erica Badu. Uh, oh, uh, Diabetes. Apart and, and Diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> the anthology. So I stole, the, the, the legend is that I, I stole Steve from Electric Lady Studios to be my full-time engineer. And so when he moved to Philadelphia, he kind of adapted my diet. Um, oh my and at God. the time, three times a day, there was a church that had Sunday dinners for sale all throughout the weekday. It's called the... The House, House of, prayer. of Prayer. Come on. That's, yeah, that's House it. of Prayer. <laughs> Is there prayer one around? in North Carolina? Bruh, what? I mean, because the House of Prayer, like the House of Prayer, the House of Prayer that I that grew up, that I grew House up down of the prayers. street from. The House of Prayers. Yeah, the House of Prayers. You know what I'm saying? You need, so the House of Prayer, it was uh, on Market Street. It was on, Mar uh, on the corner of Market and Dudley. And the leader of that House of Prayer was Daddy Grace. Yeah, that, yeah Daddy, Daddy Grace. Grace. Yeah, Daddy yeah. Grace. So you could go to the House of Prayer on a, on, on a you know, they sell plates. And you could get like smothered pork chop, yeah. yams, mm. and macaroni and cheese for like five dollars. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what? 
<laughs> so the legend, the legend is it's not a legend. I did about three weeks straight. Like this, this is when I was working. What was the first thing we did together in Philly? Like the Pharrell record. We work on Pharrell and the Yes Sirs. So every break, we'd head to the church, uh, bust a grub, buy two grubs, so we have a midnight snack too. Mm. Oh, so, wow. Oh, wow. We doubled down on those grubs. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> Is that you, Steve? And then, like, two months later, Steve's like, yo, man, I have diabetes. <laughs> Bill Sherman, a.k.a. Willie White, William White. Bill is my boss at Sesame. Wait, do I still work at Sesame? He only wrote like one song. We can change that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, you're busy. Bill, Bill is the new Joe Raposo. Woo! Who's Joe Raposo? Joe Raposo is the god of uh, children's songs. Uh, he wrote many a classic at Sesame Street. Bill's now at Sesame Street, but uh, we met. Uh, because he's one of the seven uh, producers for the Hamilton cast out. You also are a Grammy Award and a Tony Award winner for uh, In the Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a producer of many uh, acts. He's a real big shot. Don't call me Willie White for nothing. He's kind of a big deal. I'm kind of a big deal. In his home, he has a leather bound. You do not have the. In white corner. (laughs) You don't have the sugars, right? I don't have the sugar yet. (laughs) We hang out sometimes. Working on it. Yeah. Okay. I'm honored to be here. Last but not least, uh, our our boss man, our producer, uh, Bill DJ Brainchild. Am I allowed to call you by your government name or? Uh, I guess. Okay, I'll call you DJ Brainchild or? Uh, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> Are you going to edit this part out of the No, podcast? I'm, I'm going to leave it in All, All right, not thank you Did you just call it a podcast? I'm going to edit that out <laughs> On this radio show Is this on? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I am not Henceforth, I'm not supposed to call This is not a podcast This is a radio show Amir owes me $5 every time he calls this show a podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> Should we just have a <laughs> A jar, a podcast jar That's right Yeah, I'm with so, I'm going to be I'll, rich by the end of the month Yo Man, I thought about y'all the other day, man. I thought about Steve. I thought about y'all the other day because we were talking about like the diabetes and stuff. I heard probably the most <laughs> sad, hilarious, <laughs> most like tragic shit ever. And this is a real story. I won't name the guy's name. I can't, I don't, but it's a friend of a friend of mine. This really happened in real life. This is recent. Homeboy of mine, well, he's not my homeboy, but my a friend of mine is her homeboy. Like play okay. cousins. Okay. Right, play cousins shit. Homie. Like needed a kidney, right? His like he was fucked up. I guess he had like diabetes or something like that. I already know what he needed. He needed a kidney. No, no bullshit. Needed a kidney, and he was touring at one point with like a major artist. Okay, and so this major artist got behind him and was like, "Yo, we need to get my man a kidney." Like started a GoFundMe and all this shit. You know what I'm saying? Got him on the GoFundMe. People gave all this money, so homie gets on the donor list. For the kidney, like we, it, he gets on the list. So now all of a sudden, like you know, he's like praising God and everything. So then all of a sudden, we just see his like Facebook post change, and it's like, New oh man, the devil trying to steal my joy. Uh, they, the, the devil is a liar. Like all this, you know, all like the shit that gospel niggas say when right, they get mad. Right. So it's like, so we like, what the fuck happened? They took him off the donor list. So then we're like, okay, well, why? So we go to his Instagram. 
Ah, oh, check what I had for dinner tonight. Oh. White bread, fried fish. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like days and days of fuck shit. And like, and so they determined like, look, we're not gonna, you're not living a lifestyle that is whatever. So I just thought that was amazing. <laughs> I've never heard, I've heard, I've never heard of a motherfucker <laughs> IGing yourself <laughs> off the donor list. <laughs> like, <laughs> how the fuck <laughs> you tweeted yourself off the goddamn donor list, dude? And like, and if you look at his IG, all the meals like it's it's all bad. Like it's all like white bread, refined sugars, fried this. So the hospital was following him. Hey, brother, it's a new game. <laughs> <laughs> That was a really great story, fun. Oh Jesus man, I, yeah, dude. He like his Instagram took him off the fucking donor list. That is some of the most hilarious shit. Wonder bread. Man, I like good Questlove Instagram rants where like you think it's gonna be like a paragraph and then you hit four pages. Like what? You're like whoa! Like, I didn't know you. Whoa! You you had some time, which is rare. Toilet and some store. shit to say. Toilet. The Toilet reason why he doesn't have writing. time is because he was writing something. Like I mean, like like that's a lot of little dumb shit happening. I'm impressed by you. That's all I'm saying. Like I try to keep my emails that I write on my phone to like five words. Or yeah. Less. Toilet stool musing. So yeah. it's Fonte's tweets and then like really long. Instagram. Really long, right, right. And then I, pins and needles real. as soon as you stand up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, ain't that shit the worst? Yo, <laughs> like you stand up, your shit be sleep. You gotta Yo. shake it out. <laughs> gotta do the stanky leg. <laughs> but the, the part that sleep is like the shape of whatever the toilet seat. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and ain't the worst shit ever. Like when yeah. you go to a like, cause I, cause I have a thing. It's like when you go to like a real clean. I went to my dealership the other day, gets work on my car. And they had a, it's a new dealership, and they got built a new men's bathroom, and the shit is gorgeous. And oh. It has its own little, like, private joint. Like a pristine. A pristine joint. Or if you go to the handicap joint. Oh, the, the handicap joint. And, like, not in the airport, but, like, in the dealership, it was so nice. I was like, man, I'm going to go raw on this. So I was like, I need to put the seat down. I was like, man, I'm going to just, you know what I mean? Because, like, you think it's like, how you... Yeah, whatever. Yo, That's you ever limp your way in the handicap? Uh, <laughs> that nah. little private room in the handicap in the airport? Like, yeah. just in case, like. Right, 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 right. And you limp. And then you <laughs> and get then down. You... But the worst feeling, though, is like Don't when you it. sit down and it's a warm toilet seat. Oh, my God. That shit is like. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, it was ass just here. <laughs> that shit is terrible. I like the cold, the cold toilet seat on, on, the, on the bottom. It I have a heated crazy. toilet seat in my house. What? Like, yeah. When I moved into this house, it was the one number one reason I moved into this house. <laughs> 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 not, not only was is it heated, but it has this panel over here on okay. the right that like does all kinds of crazy shit. Like it'll oh it'll, the Japanese door, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it'll squirt water up that I'm way. Say up that way. way. I gotta get it'll one of those. Get one of those. Have you been to Japan yet? Oscillate. No. I've been. It's been years ago. Have though. you used the, the bidet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a game yeah. changer. So I, I keep hearing about that, dude. I tell you what, Dude, I'm moving and I'm pissed about I'll, it. I'll admit right <laughs> now. Actually, take, can take, I say one more thing? Take I, I thought, I'll admit as right I was signing the thing, I was like, I'm going to have to get a new t-. I was like, oh, no. I was taking the shit, Amazoning how much the toilet seat shit costs so that, I, so that when I move, I can buy one. And All you have to know is that shit's expensive. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, it's like wow. three grand for like the thing, man. But it, I will tell you what. It is fucking worth it. it. You can buy it like a... You can, but yeah. that's not the same thing. Yo, I'll, Producer Bill. I'll tell you that maybe 60 or 70% of all the exchanges between Rich and I on Mo Meta mm-hmm. was, was toilet stool exchanges. <laughs> Matter of fact, all my lists, all my thank yous. Oh, all the Roots thank yous. <laughs> toilet, toilet. <laughs> like, wow. I have a desk in, 
Oh, wait, that's too much. <laughs> you got a desk in your bathroom? Let's wait for further episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so we are very honored to have uh, the great Bob Power in the studio. Give it up for yeah. Bob. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Amir. My, my mother has been shilling well for me, and she talked you into this, I know. <laughs> you know? All right. Just well, like she gave Pharrell 20 bucks to say that thing about me. Right, you saw exactly. That, right? Um, okay, so. She's running out of dough, though. I might be in she, trouble. <laughs> she get, yeah, I, I gave her the money back. Um, so, I, you know, uh, you are, for those that don't know Bob Power's role in, um, Music, uh, especially in the realm of classic hip hop, uh, I'll say that you are up there with all of the great creators um, beyond engineer. I mean, I consider you the 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 fourth Beatle in a tribe called Quest and in De La Soul and then. Vinnie called me the Den Mother. I thought that was real cool. Wow. You were definitely the Den wow. Mother. You, well, you know, I'd like to get stuff done, and everybody's just hanging out. It's like, okay, what are we doing now? So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm the most disciplined human being on earth. Actually, I'm the least disciplined human being on earth. <laughs> but I disagree. But, but go ahead. Probably the the one thing that I learned in studio mixing with songs is the the absolute concentration that the engineer needs uh to to complete such a task and you never let me live that down either on those all those little things on the credits oh on the i records. forgot i used to bob could you guys please go in the back power you know <laughs> i mean on and on and on and on yeah so i mean to run off your resume um if you are a classic hip-hop fan this 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 man has has pretty much engineered and steered uh, a mighty ship of, of classic records from uh, three... Well, you did On Fire by Stetsasonic. Yeah. Did you do yeah. In Full Gear as uh, well, the second album? No, uh, that was my first big thing, yeah, um, On Fire. On Fire! Yeah, to hear, to hear Q-Tip describe when he first heard uh, Go Stetsa in a nightclub, he, he said that was, that, was a, that was a moment for him where he stopped in his tracks and was amazed at how clear the drum sounded and said, this is what I want to sound like. So, wow. Are you serious? I never heard that, man. Yeah, because I asked, like, how did you, how did Bob enter the, the sphere? And he's like, yo, was in the club one night and, <laughs> you know, and I heard yeah. Ghost Stetson. And I was, like, shocked. And I was like, he worked on that? But then I figured, like, all the, all the Calliope yeah. roster people had to have been from Tommy Boy, you know. Yeah, there was I believe that Shane Faber went away for uh, two weeks on vacation and I filled in and we got along, you know. Okay. Wow. Shane never should have left, man. So, oh, after that, then you sort of eased in and It wasn't my own doing. I had nothing to do with it. They said show up. I said okay. So when Shane came back, then everybody wanted to roll with you instead? Sh well, not really. I mean, Shane and I split that first record. And it's funny, I just remastered that for the 25th anniversary release last oh, wow. year. Man, I had no idea what I was doing back then. It was scary to hear that stuff, really? but it was fun. So you cringe when you hear your mixes now, or, or? Uh, only stuff from that far back? I actually sometimes I catch myself. I'll hear a song and I say, you know, that sounds pretty good. I, wow, that's cool. And then it's like, wow, I mixed that. Oh man, don't you forget tracks that you've done? Um, like I have a I have a cardinal rule to not. Uh, I will obsessively listen to uh, whatever record I'm working on for maybe three months after it comes out. Mm -hmm. 
and I never, ever go back. Right, but I'm like I'm in a it. clothes store or something, I'm like, wow, I know that song. Oh, yeah, I mixed that. That happens That happened yesterday. Really? I heard uh, a song that I was on, and I shazammed it, and I was disappointed when I found out that I didn't know that you were on it. I was on that, <laughs> I was on that song. Anyway, so you did uh, On Fire by Stetsasonic. Uh, of that course. was the first Stetsasonic song I ever heard, honestly. Yeah. On Fire, because I was I bought it. This was God. I was like seven. Or did eight. you buy it? I actually did. You steal it? Yeah, I didn't steal. I didn't steal it. We, <laughs> last week, Bob, we was talking about time. That, that was like we a month broke. ago. Hey, right. I know. Right. On the last episode, guys, uh, I don't think I did, did that it. whole record. Um, but if I remember on fire, oh. then I did that song. No, nah, I had that one. That was on. I remember that one because that was on a KTEL Records compilation that I bought from Kmart, and <laughs> like Wait. straight up. And that was the last song on Sidewalk. So that that was the three cent royalty check I got a couple months ago. It might have been. <laughs> it might have been. But it was a KTEL. It was a KTEL because it also. If had... you said Tangerine Records, then I really would have just walked out of <laughs> the wall like I was the Kool Aid Bear. Nah, it was it was KTEL, and that was the last song on Side One. And uh, it also had I don't know if you remember Mr. X and Mr. Z Drink Old Gold. Yeah. It was that was on there too. That wait, record. what was the name of the compilation though? Like rap hits or some shit. It was something like corny. Like, it was... <laughs> and you was like, I gotta have this. Yeah, it was. That was all I could afford because it was in like the bargain box. So it might have been like, like three cents for real. Three dollar tapes. Yeah, yeah. It was like three dollars. I, I, I know those tapes. I know those tapes very well. The cream colored tapes, like the cream. You know what I mean? Like if it was like the white tape, the cream color, wow. you knew it was some bullshit. Actually, but... you know something? Um, my first Bob Power cassette, I stole. Okay, <laughs> that's appropriate. Here we go. <laughs> wait, Very appropriate. Wait. That's what the, the reason why I was hesitating to say I was wanted to make sure that the, the grace period had passed before Sam Goody presses charges. Against me. <laughs> I have some good news for you. Sam Goody is no more. Yeah. <laughs> so I beat the man. Yeah. Now I, I used to uh, work at Sam Goody's after school, and um, when I had that that moment when I heard three feet, the same way that I felt when I heard Nation of Millions. Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, these guys are talking directly to me. So I stole the um the the only copy in the store. And um I think yeah, I, I got fired. But not a because of that, right? I think <laughs> I think they knew I stole it. So <laughs> they were throwing your ass in jail, man. Come on. You nah. would just been fired. Well no, I got fired. Right. They was like, you know I, I like to think it was you know the Christmas rush was over, and they didn't need me in January. But <laughs> I think Downside. they knew. I think they knew that I did that. Um, so anyway, three feet and rising. Uh, De La Soul is dead. Low in theory. You did People's Instinctive Travels. You did the first tribe record. Uh, half of it. Yeah, I did not do uh, um, Three Feet High. Whoa! A couple other people there did that. I did a session or two, but I wasn't. I did not get. I always thought. So you came That's in on fine. De La Soul is dead. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And Blue Mind State. Oh, yeah. Steaks? Uh, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. You know, I got really busy as a producer, and then when I said well, I can't we st- do we it. Well, we stole you. People, yeah, and people said, got really pissed. You know, of course, Tip got really They were really, territorial? Tip got really pissed, but it's okay. We're over it now. <laughs> he was territorial? Let's drop that one. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yo, man, why are you giving up that? I, I love the man, and I really do, as you do. You know, come on, man. Yeah, no, because I, I, my first week in working with you, I think I – maybe that's why you you had the quiet rule, because 
I think I asked you more about tribe mixes than I was concerned about my own mixes. So I thank God that's part of the 20 year period. It's a big blur <laughs> to me because I don't remember a thing. Well, I, I want to know. That's what we were going to ask you. About. <laughs> right. Just those 20 years. <laughs> so I, I guess I, I should ask you. I'll wing it. Did you did you come into this saying I'm going to be a pioneering engineer or was it like. No, 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 no. I what totally, were your beginnings like? What, what were you, you know, in your. your I totally backed into engineering. I. Uh, <sighs> You really want to start at the beginning? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I played trombone in fourth grade because it was cool because I could hit the kid in the back of the head in front of me with the slide. Yes. That's exactly why I picked it up. They also told me my lips were too big to play trumpet, and I was like, wow. okay, thank you. That's really nice to tell a kid, you know. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, played bad rock guitar by ear in high school. Uh, went away to college at a place, Webster University. They had a conservatory, and I didn't know enough to be scared. It was a classical conservatory. I had no background in it. Uh, became a classical theory and composition major. They never would have let me in. I don't know how they let me in, but they did. What year was this? 1970. So during the four years that I was there and studying classical theory and composition, I was playing a sort of chitlin circuit in St. Louis at night, playing in R&B bands. And uh, cover songs of the day, or oh, yeah, stuff. yeah, you're my favorite pussy, you know, oh, funkadelic, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, uh wow. temptation stuff. Uh, I, you know, I kill Papa was a Rolling Stone, man. <laughs> you know, those little ridges on the rubber on the wah wah pedals, yeah, you keep your foot there. My shit is worn out, really. Those ridges, so you're a wah wah guy, yeah, okay. yeah, um. And left St. Louis in 75, uh, did some recording there with different people. Um, I mean, what were your aspirations in the 70s? I want to be a rock star, man. Come on. Guess what? You are a rock star. Oh, come on, man. Anyway, uh, moved to San Francisco in 75. And this is weird. I ended up getting my master's in jazz, but it's a long story that I really can't tell on the air. Um, oh. it, it's a sort of checkered story, the reason that I got into graduate school, but okay. we'll leave it at that. Let's just say I had to be on my best behavior for a while gotcha, gotcha. and got into TV scoring while I was there. My dad was a television producer and uh, he hooked me up with some people. So I scored TV like three or four months out of the year for seven years and subsidized my jazz career. What shows did you? Uh, there was a show on PBS called Over Easy. I did a bunch of stuff for Disney, a um, couple other things, a couple of specials for PBS. Wow. And it was cool. You know, that was the days pre-MIDI where you had to, like, score stuff out on, sta on score paper oh, wow. and go into the session, lay down the charts, and it had to be right. You know, there was no, you know, because payroll runs when you have a lot of people on the floor. They were union dates. Um, so it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Um Whew. I wouldn't have made it in the 70s. Man, listen. <laughs> it, Man. You know, that was pre-MIDI, so things were way, way different then. Um, so anyway, uh, wanted to be Bobby Broom or somebody, you know, great jazz guitar player, was just okay. Uh, now we're going to get calls. People would say, he was terrible. He wasn't just okay. <laughs> um, and in... Like, did you come close to a... A career in being like I was a I was a journeyman in weather report or uh, no, I mean. no 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 I was playing weddings and bar mitzvahs <laughs> uh, 
Weddings and bar mitzvah. Oh, report. at best. At what, best. what bar mitzvahs? I, yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten to the part about the mafia weddings in Flatbush for, yeah. for $75, but I'll get there. Um, and in 1982, you know, I had a nice life there. Uh, my cash flow was okay because of the scoring work, but I knew I had to move to L.A. or New York. So all my friends were here. Um, had some people in, uh, some friends in advertising and corporate communication. So came back, started. You really want to hear this? One? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Already oh, halfway there. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. That's the problem. Already <laughs> a quarter way there. Um, no, you uh, like came some... back to New York, took every gig playing I could. I got really good at 16th note octaves because I played on a lot of bad dance records. What records? Oh, man. I, I don't remember. I really don't. <laughs> That's the 20-year stretch. I don't remember. They weren't union. I have no idea. Okay. You know, I got paid in cash. I left. Uh, and was doing every kind of weird club date gig I could. Like I said, mafia weddings out in Flatbush, taking the subway home in a tuxedo with my guitar and my amp at 2.30 in the morning from the junction. You guys know what the junction. What year? This was late 80s. Uh, it got stolen. What? Oh, I was waiting for the... You got no, 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 up. no, no. No. <laughs> um, but... Uh, it, I was producing stuff overnight at Calliope because it was the cheapest hours. Oh. Uh, and I was doing industrials for my friends, you know, big corporate communication shows, and the money was great, and you got to do really big productions and stuff. Just started getting into jingles. And I was working overnight at Calliope, and Chris, you remember Chris Irwin, the guy who owned it? I know the name. Fell asleep at the console, so I finished up, and he woke up, he said, oh, uh, Bob Coulter, the guy who engineered for me all the time, is going away for two weeks. Would you like to fill in? And I was like, uh, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how to do that. Yeah, I can sleep at the desk. <laughs> I can sleep at the desk. I knew how to press record on the tape machine. You know, I'd always asked a lot of questions. I was fascinated by engineering. So this was about 85, and it was Calliope. So you know what happened there. Um, yeah. At the same time that I got a following as an engineer there, uh, I got real successful doing jingles. So I was trying to do jingles. You remember, I was trying to do jingles during the day and uh, records at night, and it was killing me. And I got a lot of good stuff. I was doing, like, the Postal Service, uh, Chef Boyer D, you know, a lot of oh, wow. BMW, Mercedes. Damn, um, they didn't give me a car. <laughs> uh, and then, so about... I think it was 91 or 92, I said, you know, I was dying. And I just realized that I had to give one up. So I said, okay, I got to make as much money in the record business as I was doing in jingles, which is great money when you, when you get finals. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the writing fees are decent, plus they're all union dates. So, you know, you pl you know, kid stuff runs for years. I did a thing for Chef Boyardee's Sharks, you know, little pasta shaped like sharks. Oh, wow. That shit ran for like three or four years. So I was getting checks that whole time. It was great. Can I ask my producer, are we allowed to play that song? No. <laughs> no. No. That didn't take a long uh, right. uh, No. We can sing it. No. In fact, I think you're going to shut that last part shark, of the show. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was cool. We had to do everything. I did the music. I did the engineering. I did a lot of the playing. And it was just about when they expected the music houses to do sound design as well. So I had to make the sound of the shark. Um, it was animated of the shark fin cutting back and forth through the water. So uh, this was the really early days of sampling, and samplers didn't have a lot of memory. So I think I did a, I got a circular saw, ripped a piece of Velcro, 
and did a zipper like a zip and then put them all together and wow. I thought, you know, that was really cool, man. It really sounds like the shark is cutting up the water. And the agency says, that's much too scary. We can't use that. So <laughs> Anyway, uh, so by the early 90s, I was just doing records. I was just uh, engineering and then producing records. So that's about what so I'm So you're saying that your, your side hustle, your, your you know, I'll, I'll make some extra cash. Engineer, like... That was just an afterthought to you. But you're like changing lives. Yeah. <laughs> but you know how shit works funny, man. It's but I don't think you realized you were changing lives as you were doing it. Uh, you know what, man? I wasn't changing lives. The artists I was working with were changing lives. I was helping them do their thing. And right. I really believe in that. But, I re you know, that's important to me, honestly, as, a, as an engineer or producer. It's really important because it is all about the artist. And people lose sight of that, especially engineers. You know, guys who get in and say, oh, no, 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 that wasn't right. We have to set that up again. I used to do that. Oh, you, you were that sort of... Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I real, you know, it's really about the artist. The artist, when you're making a record, you know this, man. You got to just go there with the artist because that's what makes them special. And if they don't have anything special to say, you shouldn't be there. But it seems to me that a lot of us and a lot of people I meet, especially in the music industry, they they wind up in their glory period kind of by accident and it's never by design. Like I never like people people stop me all the time like, Oh my God, like you're the heir apparent to Doc Severson. It's like <laughs> I never like you of all people know that I never was like, you know Bob, I really want to be know, a late night. He had good hot chops, man. No, no, I love Doc. I played with him. And but funny I, funny ties. See? You really played with him? Yeah, he sat in uh, DACA. Yeah, in Los Angeles. That's great. Yeah, he got down lot. with us. That's so, great. But I'm just saying that, you know, I kind of, this wasn't planned at all. And it was never by design. And to hear you say it, like, engineering was just like a. It was another gig. You know. But in hindsight, you do recognize that it was historically important that you did this stuff, right? You know, did you guys see Zelig, the Woody Allen movie, where he kind of shows up in all these historical okay. famous yes. historical <laughs> things? Like, yes. Which Jew are you asking, Bob? Because <laughs> yeah. uh, this quarter says, yeah. Yeah. Saw it. Um, you know, I was just there. It's, like, it's a weird car. That wasn't man. car wash. We didn't see it. Yeah, we didn't see it. Uh, that's, you know, that's one of my favorite records. Car wash. Oh my God, Wawa Watson. That's everything is him on that. Just oh now. okay. Um, but you know, uh, things happen in strange ways, man. I see. Well, and, and I am passionate about what I do. You know. I, I'm I'm waving my head up and down. But I I have a qu I'm not sure if I missed why you, why did you choose making records over advertising? Advertising is obviously it was more much lucrative. cooler. That's what I wanted to do since I was a kid. You know, I used to sit in my room and early on when headphones first came around like in 64 or I got a headphone in 64, I used to sit and listen to these records and I'd look on the back of the records and it said producer and they called mixers remixers at that point. And uh you know, I said I had no idea what it was, but I said, oh, that looks really cool because I really like this record. So that's that's where I got started, really. I, I had, see. I had an almost an exact similar situation. I was interning when I first started. I was interning at JSM. Mm -hmm. It was a jingle house. Sure, sure. Huge. Street. Yeah. Like, and it was beautiful. And you've been in there? Mm-hmm. 
like the facilities were great everything everybody dressed nice and smelled good and made a lot of money and <laughs> and i was also interning at electrical lady at the same exact time i was doing two two totally you know those must have been killing you man well not really i mean it was it was more I, eventually they both wanted to hire me i had to literally decide the same decision like advertising or jingles versus rock and roll essentially and you know the he chose you know, a mirror. I, I, I was like I was, <laughs> it's it's sort of a when I was doing the pros and cons of it, you know, everything said jingles. You know, of course. The hours, the money, the, you could have a real The money, life. the money, the money. Yeah, <laughs> and, and all the opportunity to write as yeah. well. You yeah, know? yeah, so, yeah. Um, but then, you know, I just chose Electric Lady because I wanted to make records. It's all just, the same stuff. The problem with doing jingles after a while is, I mean, everybody thinks, oh, it must really rob your soul. And I used to say, fuck, you know, I'm a professional. I just do this shit. And I'm really crazy about it when I'm doing it. I love it. I put 200% into it. But after a while, I realized it did start to rob my soul because you just put all this stuff out there and people send it back and say, oh, no, it's too green. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. come on, man. Or we really need it by Thursday afternoon. We got to have it by Thursday afternoon. It's really important. So you <laughs> stay up all night, man. You're really dying for it. So you wait till Monday just to be cool. And you call them and say, hey, Bill, did everything work out okay with the track? Oh, uh, it's on my desk here somewhere. Let me get to it and I'll call you back. Oh, all the time, man. You know that. You yeah, know that. that happens to us, right? Yeah. Even now as we yeah. speak. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? 
With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Bob, I have, to, I have to say that you're, as you say, the token white guy shtick was always like one of my favorite moments whenever you would do these little skits with De La and Tribe and everything. Um, first of all, I mean, would they... Would you volunteer these services or they just say, go in the studio, go in the room? I and- think the token white guy was me. I must have been out of my mind. You know, we were, everybody was doing bad stuff back then. Uh, I think they, they did a whole bunch of fake radio IDs or something like that. So I said, oh, let me go in, let me go in and do it. Never thinking that it would really see the light of day. When so. you were making that stuff, um, you know, I guess like a record like Bloom and just even the Tribe stuff, did you have any idea of where it would go. I read an uh, interview, this was a couple of days ago on Waxwedics, they interviewed uh, Cecil and Margaliff. Uh They mm-hmm, worked on mm-hmm. all the Stevie stuff and everything. And they were talking about how after they did the Stevie stuff, they got hired to do the Osley Brothers. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, regular gig or whatever. And he said they were just doing, just doing what they did and they didn't think anything, they had no idea that the songs were getting played 40 years later. All right. Did you have moments like no, that? No, 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 no. I think most normal people when they're working on a record, you love what's in front of you. It's I Don't take this the wrong way. That's why you get paid, which what I mean is that's why you're there. Gotcha. Whether you're the artist or engineer or mixing, um, it's the coolest thing in the world for the time that you're working on it. It has to be. You've got to right. love it to death. So, uh, number one, that's the prime directive, like Star Trek. Um, and uh, no, I get asked that a lot. People say, did you know you were making a classic? Is it like, no, we were having fun trying well, to finish. Here's the thing, though. I think in order for you to uh, produce the results that you did uh, produce, I feel as though one has to submit to, I guess, the, 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 the ongoing battle or conflict with a lot of... Um, people especially that early in the game between 88 89 90 91 was actually admitting that hip-hop was an art form and not just a fad an extra check and that sort of thing you know man it took the record business when the record business really got on board was when they said holy shit there's a lot of money in this i mean you know come on Mm -hmm. i'm not dissing anybody that's just the way that's that's exactly and my thing was i like to make great music with great people i don't care what form that takes i like big band you know there's a lot of things i like i make jazz records uh and i really like the people i was working with so um there was uh i don't know if you ran into this but there was some pushback in the engineering and the studio community in New York because until hip hop came along, the, the, the studios were fairly integrated, but it was a jazz scene. And because hip hop was a completely new cultural thing coming up from the streets with a, a different way of talking, different way of dressing, different way of walking, different way of making music, of course, that yeah. uh, even people who were used to working in integrated situations in the studio, the studio establishment back then, and still is to a certain degree, a white male boys club. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just the people that drift into it. Uh, not by design, but... Um, so there were a lot of 
people who just sort of saw a bunch of 18-year-old kids coming in the door with dress like they'd never seen people dress before and having fun because they're 18-year-old kids. And they got freaked, I think. That's what I think. And I was like, hey, guys, what do you want to do? Because I was learning at the same time. So it was like, wow, this is really fascinating. I like this. Wow. Yeah. Well, since you brought it up, <laughs> is there a client that you had to say no to that you kind of regret that, damn, maybe I should have did that for historical purposes? Oh, man, you have no idea the stuff I've had to turn down. Um, and only because I'm, I was, like, really busy. It wasn't because I, like, oh, I don't, I don't like work them. with this. Can I really talk? I, I usually don't like to talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Who? Oh, yeah. Prince. Wait. Okay. This is a good one, guys. So, <laughs> so I I got married in '94, and you know I was working all the time, and I was burned out. That's one of the reasons that Richard got mad at me at a certain point because I was so burned out. I had a vacation planned for like months and months, a lot of money into a European vacation, and I said, "No, I'm going on vacation." Richard flipped. Um, Sorry, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's Richard, and uh, so. Uh, I was really burned out. I was working like 90 hour weeks a lot. I had one Friday night home with my new wife. And uh, we cooked dinner. I love to cook. I cooked dinner. I had a bottle of Chianti. I'm in my robe, 9.30 on a Friday night. I had to do it. I'm sorry. And, and, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for the no, that was, that was afterwards, man. Um, ooh, ooh, that was bad. Ooh, that was bad. Nah, that's what we're here for. All right. Shit, let it fly. Uh, are you guys still married? Are y'all, are y'all still married? No. No. So we can get worse. Hey, look, man. So I'm home. I'm down for the count after some wine. Probably smoked some wine. So the phone rings, and it's battery. And I worked a lot with, and I still do work a lot with Michelle and Diego Cello, who's a lovely person and a dear friend. And the phone rings, and Bob, this is battery, the studio. I said, yeah. They go, "Uh, listen, Prince is coming in with Michelle tonight, and they want you to do the session. Mm-hmm. So I was like, uh, I was so excited, and I kind of caught myself, and I said, um, let me call you back. And I hung up, and I was like, you know, I'm a little loaded. I'm really fucking tired. I just got out of the shower. Do I want to go in and work all night with some guy that won't talk directly to me? You know, it wasn't, guys, it wasn't that literal. I was burned out. It could have been anybody. It could have been the Beatles. I would have said the same thing. So I said No. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what day that, that, I know what day that, that, that session took place. Are you serious? Yeah. How do you know? Oh, man. Okay, That's here it comes. Come on, no, set it up. Literally, it was, it was almost literally 20 years ago today. today. How was, do you know It this, was July right? 3rd, 1996. I looked it up on the What song was it? What it song? It was Email from the Emancipation album. Ah. Uh, oh, she was supposed to be on that. Yeah. They, they recorded an instrumental. They recorded an instrumental that night. Uh, and, uh. Like, I think he went back and re-recorded it later. Of course he did. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, So that's one. Uh, There's some others. I can't name Wait, can we acknowledge (laughs) this moment? Prince Dork. (laughs) No, just music dork. (laughs) This is why each person. He Googled it, but guys, calm down. Each person in this room. (laughs) So what if I Google it? Has has a weird super uh, uh, kind of ability to recall stuff like that. Anyway, so Prince. Yeah. And there's another one I'm not going to, I I can't name names because okay. it's bad. There's, the people are still around. A really huge star of the last 15 years. I mean, really, really huge. And uh, 
the A&R person who I'd known for a long time, who's a real big cheese now, really big cheese, called me and said, you know, uh, we have blah, 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 we want you to mix the first record. And I listened to it, and I called him back, and I said, uh, blank, because <laughs> I'm not going to say his name was... No, I'm not going to say it. So it's a uh, does, does yeah, right. Well, <laughs> it's, it's does record it rhyme business. with meh, meh, mead? No, no, no. I'm playing. Meh, mead. So I said, you know, do you really think this record's ready? Because it didn't sound ready to me. It sounded like, you know, demos with a drum machine and stuff. And it was like a huge, huge, huge career that goes on to these day, this day. Wow. And, you know, that, I mean, can I talk about... An the, active career? Oh, ex extremely. Very top active. of the heap. Top of the heap. So we say it didn't sound ready. And you're not ready. talking about Mike. What wow. didn't it sound... What constitutes sound Because it, I believe because this was your feeling towards Brown Sugar as well, when you heard the demos. Oh, no, no. D d these demos were killing. We chased the demos on that. We chased, we chased the demos on that. We chased the demos on, on, on Michelle's first record. They were ferocious. Really? Uh, wow. Chased the demos on Erica's record. Mm. Um, but it didn't quite sound like a record, you know. And I think that at that point, you know, now because of certain big figures, I'm not going to name names, you know, kind of scratchy and thin and small sounding is kind of okay again. But at that point, people, I didn't think people wanted that, you know, wow. so, so, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, there's a bunch of stuff. You know, I had to turn down that thing recently because of school, and uh, it really... The H word? It hurt me more than anything <laughs> I've actually had to say no to, but I teach at NYU now. So it turns out that your crunch week was the first week of school, and... Uh, the children? Yeah, they signed me first. So, ah, you know, I really, well, I mean, we can mention really, that. We can, we can talk about that. I so wanted to do that. I, I begged Bob to kind of take the load off Tim Latham because Tim was also uh, engineered uh, the Hamilton record. And Bob and Tim worked on, I mean, they were, in my mind, you guys were like great tag team partners. Frickin' Frack. Yeah, you, you guys did Tribe together and The Roots together. It was a Jewish-Irish comedy team. Yeah. <laughs> and Tim is a funny guy. He is. Yeah. He is. He is. I took over the Jew part of that, I think, Bob. All right, man. Thank you for filming. You're welcome. I had to represent. <laughs> All right, so let's slide, let's slide back to the beginning because I, I know that um, Q-Tip and, and his excitement over the, the Ghostetsu record. That was a moment for him. Um, and I have to admit, like, those are, for 1986, those were some loud-ass drums, which... I have a problem with drums. What's that problem? <laughs> that, man, you know, I mix stuff, and then I listen to it two weeks later when it's too late to change it. I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? And I just... Somehow I hear the drums being real loud. Your first record, man, when I listened to it after it came out, I said, oh, my God, I really fucked this up. I can't believe I did that. No, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> now you're really talking. Talking. And, no, but you you're know, talking I, to the drummer. If I listen like a listener, it's like, wow, that's really rocking. But if I listen like a mixer, I'm like, what did you do? See, man? but that's I what think that's that was the best part. Y what, yeah, that was the best part. The best I remember part. hearing distortion you, and static and like, right, what you did it for sounded me. like nothing else that was on. Guys, I still do exactly the same thing. As you should. And two weeks after, I still say, oh my God, what did I do? But yeah. I well, Jewish neuroses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is that, um, especially with, before we started working with you on, on the organics records, like whenever I 
would do these rough mixes, and I would have the drums up ungodly loud. You know, band members and everybody just think like, oh, you're egomaniac. You just want to hear your drums <laughs> loud and turn everything else down. And so I kind of felt relieved that you were enforcing and saw a world in which the music could be just as loud as, you know, the vocals. There was one time when Prince actually came to a session that I was working on with Common. And he said, yo, turn all the music down and just turn the vocals up. Like in his world and in, I guess, modern pop, the voice has to be the loudest thing in the forefront and the music's the kind of the afterthought the voice is the center of the record everything you do on a record should be there to support the vocal but still you can have the drums loud and if you know no i'm serious if you know what you're doing you can make room for everything at the same time so yeah i mean it just it's one of those things david gampson who's a producer and writer out in la is a real good friend of mine and we have this thing because we've done a bunch of records together that once you put the drums up to a certain level even if they're too loud if you pull them down, everything kind of falls apart and it gets really limp. So you got to put them back up again. You're right about that. Yeah. You're so right. So, I mean, not like it was a scientific thing, but he said it changed his life and basically, like, this guy has to engineer our stuff. So, I mean, what were there? Can you go into the early days of, of working with Tribe and... Um. You know, you have to remember the technology was really primitive then. And wait, before you start, and did you track these records, or did you track? Did you track and engineer, or did you just engineer? No, both, both. I, I tracked and mixed a lot of stuff. Now, I, the stories I hear from most engineers that I that I ask these questions, um, they often say like, you know, maybe like Eric Sattler, Public Enemy. They they would always praise him for going past page six in the sampler's manual. Whereas everyone would just be like, how do you turn it on? How do you sample it? Or just give it to the, the side engineer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he'll loop everything up for you. Like, what Well, that was, that was actually, that's really interesting because back in those days, the quickest way to move ahead was if you really had your MIDI shit together. For those people who don't know, MIDI is the computer languages that computers and, and synthesizers used to speak to each other. And no one, it was the Wild West. Number one, shit didn't work the way it was supposed to. Number two, nobody knew how to use the stuff. So if you knew how to use the stuff, especially assistants, you could move up really quickly. The SBX-80, do you, yeah. I mean, oh my God, what a nightmare. A, a sync box. So, right? yeah, and I, you know, I've always been sort of a tech geek. I really am fascinated looking under the hood on stuff. So it helped, you know, problem solving. Would they walk in with like these records like, all right, Bob, loop this up yeah yeah and but you know both tip and ali early on sort of started figuring it out and um the large professor hip tip to the sp12 ali was one of the first person people i know to carry around a little uh mac you know the all-in-one things with the little tiny screen uh and he used opcode and so they would come in after a while they would come in pretty prepared uh sometimes i would take the stuff in the other room in logic the C room in the back of yeah battery. and kind of just slip it around a little bit and hopefully not take the funk out of it but in the beginning it was so primitive i mean samplers didn't have a lot of sampling time so if you had 24 tracks on tape and you had one track two tracks taken up by the sync tone and the guide band guard band uh if you wanted to lay down like a complete sort of two-bar phrase you had to do it in really tiny little pieces Okay, let's take the next pass. So you'd listen to and you'd record the 
and you put them together. Wow. What? Yeah, I'm serious, man. You had to you had to do the beat little tiny pieces at a time. You know, technology. On a recent tribe record, you you had to. No, no, early on. Early okay, on. early. Okay, yeah, pre yeah, for that. Yeah. Um, Did you do any hip hop before Stetsasonic? Maybe at Calliope. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. I would hear of these primitive sampling techniques, especially like with the, the Def Jam people at Chunk King, where they would. What's the process where you take the tape and get a pencil and you loop? Yeah, you'd make a tape loop. Can you describe that process? Okay, what I, you do is you record your two bars that you like, and you cut it and you, you splice it together and make a tape loop. Now, obviously, that loop's going to be about 12 feet long, much too big to fit on the tape machine. So you stand back with pencils uh, emulating tape guides and you hold them so you have the proper tension on it. And you're standing like 12 or 15 feet away from the machine with like two pencils that are acting like uh, rollers or tape guides. Right. And yeah, yeah, it was primitive, man. But, you know, that was sort of, you had people before that you had 808 drum machines, like Stetsasonic was the end, and I'm not a hip hop historian, but I just know the stuff I've worked on, but Stets was the end of the 808. You either had that or you had amazing DJs cutting back and forth between two records and going for four minutes in perfect tempo. The first time I saw that man, completely, I said, uh, you wanna do what? I said, okay, well, I'll set it up. And I'm like, they're never gonna be able to do this. And it was they did killer. it perfectly. Oh my God! Yeah, it was killer. It was killer. Um, wow. So yeah, um, at first when sampling happened, right after that first wave of hip hop, when we first started hearing samples on records, the sampling time was like a second and a half, maybe. On the SP one or or the, the SP twelve? Um, no, the Akai six twelve was actually the first one we used, and it had these little quick discs, a proprietary sort of mini floppy format that you save the stuff on. Large I one. think it had seven to nine tenths of a second of sampling. So you basically, you'd lay down the kick drum by itself, then you'd lay down the snare drum by itself. Uh, Chris at Calliope used to use an electroharmonics one shot. And when you unplugged it, that was gone forever. You would sample something, you'd got it onto tape, there was no way of saying, saving it, you unplugged it and you just did something else. Yeah, So you're saying, okay, so you're saying, now when we did Mellow My Man, the, fr the first time we worked together, and we, um, Engineer Mellow My Man, that process took, I, I know that we started at 12 in the afternoon, and you were very disciplined, you, you were out of there like uh, 7, 7 p.m., so. No. Um, maybe I, you start at 10 in the morning. I like, probably I, had another session, man, I don't know. No, no, it was Christmas, it was Christmas oh, Eve. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, get um, back home getting his robe. But <laughs> I do. <laughs> Keontae. <laughs> but we, we, but I, I do remember that, okay, so I was told by other people that, yeah, you know, you can mix two songs in a day. So I was like, wow, we're mixing one song a day. And he's very meticulous on, you know, each track. Like each track he spends a good 20 to, to maybe 45 minutes, like, yeah, and, and, and that's so wrong. I don't do that anymore, but go ahead. Well, because, you know, we have technology now that speeds up the process. Like, we did phrenology well, also, at record I, time. I know what I'm doing. There was a difference. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious, man. I was like, okay, I really got to get this right. So you Jedi mind tricking me? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> now, see, I thought you were just this mad genius that... 
No, didn't I was, believe in microwave mixing, and you wanted to souffle it. <laughs> I was oven. I was really into it. I work in concentric circles now. I I don't like to get bogged down on any one thing. I'll go through everything on a real cursory level, and then go back and spend a little more time. But I don't work in a linear fashion where the kick drum's got to be perfect, the snare drum's got to be perfect, because you lose the context. You know that. What? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well. Yeah. It sounds a little revisionist to me because no concentric circles, man. You were the most happening. disciplined engineer I've ever known. I was out of my mind, man. What can I say? Okay, well, <laughs> I, I think you're doing false modesty. I don't think there's o- OCD, wrong baby. <laughs> well, my whole point was that if you were tracking on primitive stuff and it had to sound perfect, then that took a lot of time. So you're, you're saying no, like, no, you can't do that, man. You know, when you set up a session, my thing I tell my students: get it sounding pretty good really fast you know because the energy of the people sitting on the floor is the most important thing all right y'all you know what season it is tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel and if you're like me you're already in your airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you now listen while i'm looking to spend all this money what i'm not doing is thinking about making money with airbnb so you gotta change your mind state Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is what I want to know. The special things about the, the native tongue records, the uh, the tribe, the De La, Jungle Brothers, did you do mm-hmm. Okay. You the did first, this straight out the jungle? Or before the, the, some, of the, some of the early stuff and then one really bad one. Yeah, I was going to say, he took an Alan Smithy yeah. On uh, the last yeah, record, exactly. You were uh, Robert Powers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh wow. He took a he oh, took wait, he took an the... Alan Smithy. Uh, uh, JB's with the remedy. My Jimmy oh, weighs a ton. You know something though. I went back to that record. It wasn't as bad as it. Maybe 17, 18 years later, and it was. 
it was kind of RZA-ish. Like it, it was. Yeah. It could have worked in the right year. I just don't. It could have been an okay record in the yeah. right year. Because apparently that was the one that that wasn't even the record they wanted to put out. Apparently it was Crazy, crazy Wisdom, Wisdom Masters. Masters. But I feel like that you put the, the record out that you want to put out. It's like. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, if you're if you're big cheese, you know. The, other than that, the record company says, no, that's not good enough. We don't hear any So hits. the record company just took the record and said, this is what it is? I don't know exactly what happened on that. Yeah, time. I mean, they did remixes to it. They did videos, so yeah. I didn't see any guns Y'all were committed. To the <laughs> yeah, and you made the record. Yeah, that shit ain't make it so. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting. I, I have a lot of questions about uh Mike JB. G actually lived not too far from me now. Mike G's really? in North Carolina. Oh, okay. Mike's a good guy. Both yeah. good guys. Yeah. I I talk to Africa once every ten or twelve years. It seems like somehow I don't know. I don't uh-huh. know. Well, the the one thing that people rarely mention about these records is um, how I mean they're really three dimensional, and you know because hip hop is so full of caricatures. Um, you rarely get to see the flesh and blood of of people. And I felt with the skits that were on these records, it kind of disarmed the listener because it really showed that these guys had goofy sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But um, I always wanted to know, because it always sounded so spontaneous and so fun and so of the moment. I mean, were there just live mics everywhere and were tapes and cassettes constantly running in case an idea came up and no but there were mics open because we were doing rhymes and stuff and you know somebody says i want to get on the mic you press record it's you know it's it just always felt like a, a reality show where like you know that's good artists at work serious seriously so how do you i guess as a well two questions one where does the line where is the line for you between producer and engineer uh, if I'm engineering, I'm just there to make it sound really good and help the momentum of the session move forward. That's the line. I don't uh, offer artistic uh, ideas. That's not why I'm there. And then when you're producing, it's you, you know, man, it's producing. Every artist is different. You know, a lot. Some artists, some artists who you guys know me for working with, you try to set the table right and get the fuck out of the way and let them do their thing because they're so incredibly dope and you try to corral it a little bit so it sounds like a record uh and then other people you know you gotta uh build the car from the wheels up you know it's just always different so with the corralling because that was my that was asking my next question i mean a record like de la soul is dead that i mean i love that i mean a lot of people love it's my favorite record yeah that's my favorite de la record too yeah but like Something like Johnny's Dead, which is fucking hilarious. You know what I mean? But something like that could never happen on a hip hop LP now. You know what I mean? So, like, how do you Maybe it needs that? to come back. Well, <laughs> no, I, you know, that was Paul and Poss, really. Okay. And, and Dave also. Mm-hmm. Um, that was them. Uh, but I'm saying, like, how do moments like that get captured? Where it's not like, okay, guys, recording and roll. The same way that when you do a take, it doesn't sound like you're playing to a click. You know, it's just what they do, man. So just happened to be. Yeah, also, that was a much more innocent time, which is why people got away with those skits. Is because the whole gun thing, the whole violence thing hadn't really gotten big yet. It was a much more innocent time. People were just out of high school, man. 
You also worked, um, the unique thing about your uh, work is that you work with groups. I mean, now we're in a system in which, you know, the solo artist is celebrated. There can only be one. How yeah. And, <laughs> and That's how so you know, how. I thought about that, man. That's right. There's yeah. Only so I, There's I, no hip hop groups anymore. Barely. So yeah. how did you. Nah, no RB Right. Nah. Right. Singers. I mean, there's hardly any. I mean, there's personalities, but how. So klezmer music has no groups now either. <laughs> but Earth, no, <laughs> all that said, well Earth, said. Earth, Wind, and Fire lives. That's all I can That's say. True. That's true. <laughs> no, uh, how, how, uh, how these. I mean, who would know where their place was and who would be the alpha and who would. Well, uh, you know the... And I'm certain that you've had conflicts of... Especially when you're a group when there's multiple producers and... Well, that's when I say, uh, you know... Does yeah. someone sneak up to you and say, yo, turn that yeah, turn I the don't do, down on I, I can't do that, man. I, I got to be honest with everybody, so I don't do that. So have you um, had situations where someone comes up to you and is like, yo, man... I I, I'd say we need to talk about this with everybody. And I haven't. I did. Or does it come with you from you first and sort of a, an anonymous like? No. Well, if it needs, like, to, yeah, did you have to play Doctor Phil? You've seen me in the sessions. You know, I'll sometimes stop and say, "Guys, listen. You know, we were talking about maybe turning the hi hat up on this part or whatever, or losing that rhyme there. What do you guys think?" And then I get stand back and get out of the way. You know, that's not that's not what I'm there for. I just try to keep things moving forward. You know, it comes from paying for studio time myself <laughs> and not having enough money. You know, you learn to keep things moving forward in the studio. In retrospect, the forward motion of a session is like everything. It's 90% of whether stuff comes out good or not is the momentum of the session, I think. That's real. Mm -hmm. wow. Okay, so the low end theory, which <laughs> is, <laughs> I'm going to get something out of this. Right. I'm going to get some blood out of this stone, damn it. <laughs> um, I mean, what was a typical session like? Like, would songs take a day or... Um, like, for me, it's like, okay, we jam on something, jam on something. Oh, here's an idea. And then we track it. Like, I mean, how were records made back then? Like, would they come in pre-production and say, this is what I want to do? Or? By then, Tip and Ali were doing programming on their own. So Tip had an SP-12 and Ali had his computer and an S900. So they would come in with stuff. Uh, the technology still wasn't that great that we didn't have to mess with it just a little bit. Um, you couldn't slip tracks at that point, you know, move tracks back and forth in time. So uh, if you sampled something and it wasn't quite the feel you wanted, you had to do a few tricks to get that to happen. Um, yeah, you taught me that sometimes you put it through a, a delay well, at the time, track thing. And you know, now in the computer up, right. you can say to the snare, I want the snare to be, you know, 30 milliseconds back or right. whatever. Um, back then... We used to fake it, and again, this was Chris Irwin, who was brilliant. Um, you would synchronize to Simpty on the tape to a time code. Can I guess the Lynxes? No, almost. But you'd, syn you'd synchronize, no. <laughs> you'd, you'd synchronize the SP-12 to Simpty because the SP-12 was one of the first things to read it and spit out MIDI clock. And 
you'd feed the SMPTE through a 50 millisecond delay. So everything that got printed on the record, if it was printed at zero, was actually 50 milliseconds behind the SMPTE. And then if you were printing, say, a snare, and you say, I want to pull this up in the field, you just lower the delay time on the delay, and, and the snare would move a little bit forward in the field. But very, you did that with me a few times. Yeah, very soon thereafter, what? Uh, you could slip um, you could slip tracks in a computer. You know, that's everything now. That's that's yeah. I see. I move. See. You know, for people who don't know, move tracks backward and forward in time, so it's funkier. When did when did it when did it turn? Like when did the technology? Early nineties, I think. Yeah. Do yeah. you remember the first record that you did completely in the box? Oh man. Um, See, because I use microphones, I, I can't, you know, get with that in the box. And I still mix, even though I'm mostly in the box. I still have a, a two-bus chain. The stereo mix comes out through some really nice stuff. But the technology's there. I can mix in the bo- all in the box, and it'd be fine. Uh, the technology's absolutely there now. And, uh, yeah, you just got to use it. So uh, would you say that brown sugar was your first foray into first of all when you were approached sanity <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the club um was when you were approached uh i i was assuming that kadar came to you to do mm-hmm. brown sugar mm-hmm. did he just want you to engineer it first no no did you say i want to produce this like you know why to tell the truth to- i don't remember i don't remember but uh yeah, I really don't remember. Um, but as you know, with D, you he know, played you the music first, and yeah, of course, moving stuff along is half the battle. I still have the four-track cassettes, his demos. That's what uh, I was going to ask. Do you don't? Do you have those? The demos from Brown Sugar? I think Bill does. I had a fire, and most of the stuff got destroyed. But I may still have those. I'm not sure. You had a fire? Yeah, my home, my home in New York was destroyed by a fire about six years ago. Oh shit! Yeah, Crap. listen, no, it's good. If it had been my studio with all my gear, I would have jumped off the roof. Oh, but I okay. the the worst thing that happened. I mean, it was bad. It was a couple of years fighting with the insurance company, but um, no one was hurt, and I lost a '65 Tele Sunburst with white binding, one of the original ones. Um, but that's didn't you use that on I M I B? I I don't know. I used to use it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that's your I M I B guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, D is one of those artists, and I was learning as I went along, but as you know, D is an artist where you got to let him do his thing because that's where the good stuff happens. Um, it's getting him to do his thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. I didn't. Well, I mean, um, compared to the other two records, I mean, you made Brown Sugar in record time. Yeah, you started I, in, what, 93? Yeah, but I also made half that record, and I just... Oh, you I don't know how to say this. Um, I mean, the I, world I, knows. It's not like you're in a unique situation. I, I, I do love D the same way you do. Um, but I just couldn't wait around anymore. And I also know that he wanted to do it himself, you know. So uh, there's so explain chasing the demo for those. Uh, chasing the demo is when someone makes a demonstration recording of the song, which is not a full-on version of the song because they don't have the resources, but it's just an outline for the song. But when the demo is like really incredibly cool, you end up making the real thing, but then it's too good and it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound as cool like the as the demo. Thing, yeah. But the demo itself, and then people say, well, why don't you just use the demo for a record? Because it's too messed up. It's just you can't quite do it. 
Uh, but actually with him and with Michelle on her first record, I would pull stuff off the demos. If there were multi-tracks and there were parts that were really, really cool, I'd pull them off the demos. How would you line them up? It was hard. It was really hard. Wait, by this point you had Pro Tools though, right? Uh, I guess. I Lenses? I had, a, <laughs> I had a Roland DM80, and Pro Tools sounded horrible at the beginning, and it really didn't work. I had a Roland hard disk recorder. There was also enough sampling time. I could fly shit in, you know, from one tape machine to another and kind of keep punching in and get it right. Mm -hmm. You know, you just got to work, man. Yeah, I'll say that uh, Dreaming Eyes of Mine, definitely. I, I remember calling you when it came out and asking, like, I thought there was just a discrepancy glitch in the drum programming that's so funny you say that man because because everything you know there's people a discrepancy glitch in the <laughs> drum no program. listen musicians talk about people's feel and you know to get things to sit comfortably you always want to keep the backbeat sort of behind the beat and you want your rhymes to be behind the beat and jazz playing is behind the beat d is in last week you know, he's so behind the beat. He's still he's, on his way to the studio. <laughs> yeah, he's two weeks ago. <laughs> so it's funny. When I was flying the vocals with my Roland hard disk recorder, you do it by a tempo map. So it's, you know, it's going to be correct. When you put it in the second verse, it's going to be in exactly the same place it was in the first verse. And it was his background vocals were so back in that I was sure that the gear was fucking up because uh, they were so behind the beat and stuff. Um, you know, that's me on guitar in that song, too. A word. Dreaming eyes. Yeah, yeah. When you're approached, uh, let's say, like uh, for Michelle's record, which wasn't a out of the box platinum album, um, but an artistic achievement. That's my favorite Michelle album. Yeah. Plenty. Well, uh, well I don't know. Well, yeah, both of them. Yeah, like that one. And then I like Bitter too. Bitter was really dope. But do you take, when you take these projects on, how many uh, of her albums you did the first three? I've mixed almost everything. I produced two or three cuts on the first one and then mixed a lot of other stuff. David Gamson did most of that stuff. And Michelle did it, you know. Um, there's not a lot of people. I know a lot of great musicians. I don't know a lot of artists. Michelle is one of the deepest artists I know. In what way? What Come on, man. Do I have to explain that? You yes, you do. You do. <laughs> she is one of those people that just does things really differently from other people, and it always comes out really pretty dope. Her vision is, is way different than other people's. Way, way different. Um, I mean, Plantation Lullabies, like the way that record is constructed and the way that record sounds and the parts, it was sort of like hip-hop from Mars meets R&B meets Anger. <laughs> you know, it was cool. It was cool. You did bitter as well, correct? No, that was, was Craig, uh, Street. Craig Street. Craig, Craig Street. Yeah. Damn, y'all. Nah, <laughs> y'all came with, it, I, with that. I mixed correction. pretty much. That's paprika. Uh, you know, I mixed Comfort Woman too, guys. Uh, Comfort Woman's a great record. It's a great yeah. sounding record too. We did that down at um, Chungking. Um, it's a really good sounding record too, and I've done a couple with her since then. Devil's Halo is probably my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. He did, he, he did Devil's Halo? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I got all of them. I just, the credits are losing sometimes. That's dope. Um, so when you, make, when you make these records, what's your grand achievement, especially when you're not dealing with an artist that, I'm certain that Maverick would love her to have had one foot in platinum status and the other foot in artistic achievement. Um. So I'm pretty sure you've had it earful from the A&R people. Not back then. 
Not back then. You know, I only did a couple of cuts on the first record, so not back then. They had Two Lonely Hearts, or um, no, um, what was the sexy one? Uh, Cross Your Door? Yeah, Dreadlocks. Oh, dreadlocks. Dre- dreadlocks, you know. But that was also, I mean. Did you do Wild Night? Uh, no. The oh, no. No, no. <laughs> um, uh, Wait, Why y'all laughing at guys, me like that song don't exist? No, no the, that was that, a top ten hit. That there's was a, a disconnect. Camp. It was a be- yeah, that was yeah, a yeah. Mellencamp record. There's a disconnect between Michelle and the pop music juggernaut. You know, she's definitely an artist that deserves to be out there, and everybody needs to hear her. And resources have to be put behind her. She is not necessarily the artist that you expect to play. You know, on Hot 95. You know, I'm gonna keep it that way too. <laughs> hot 97. Whatever. No, no, make it Hot 95. Cause <laughs> that's just hot 23. That's that's a great I, middle I, finger. <laughs> oh, hot 95. Oh, Can I take Hot like 95? That. Oh, okay. No, no, all good, all good, Quest Love good. Supreme, aka Hot 95. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it. But no, you know that. It's like record companies, if there was an economy of scale, which there is now, that allowed artists to make records and that the company didn't need to sell millions of records to recoup or keep their doors open, it would be cool. But there's not a lot of places like that. They need to keep the scale that they run those companies on. They need mega hits. You know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So did you ever have a client in which, like, you know, once the mixes went home then suddenly yes and i've heard anr people say to artists after you know kissing their ass up and down for two years sending the limos for them champagne go into the office i don't hear any hits go back and write me some hits which is like the most crippling thing you could ever yeah. say to anybody you're not good enough go back and make yourself good enough oh that's helpful you know jesus yeah you've heard that man come on so, but I think the same thing could be said. I remember you saying one time, the exact opposite can be true. Like when y'all signed with Def Jam, and Jay was like, "Yeah, it's, don't make any don't hits. Make no hits. <laughs> right. That was even make bigger pressure." <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, now we got to get an eight and pitchfork." <laughs> no, but that's a good situation when they know who you are and sign you because of who you are. Um, that's, but I don't want them to use that as an excuse to not. To right. want to promote us, you know what I mean. So it's like, this is a, that's a kind of reverse, bizarre paradigm at work. Yeah, don't make any hits. Uh, Wither yeah. away in obscurity. I'm the champion. <laughs> you're so successful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. Well, your your production and chasing demos and seeing the the product through, um, and Erica as well. We're doing Baduism. I mean, did you? The way the way you sold me to D, I, I have to admit, and I always tell this story. Did I do that? Well, you wanted me to play on shit, damn motherfucker. Yeah. And this is before Ron Carter had a, a change of heart. And uh, <laughs> Ron Carter was going to play. And he had no change of heart. He closed the door really fast on that one. Ron's I said, like, "What's the song called?" No, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Oh wow. I called him, and Ron's actually a good guy. He's you know he's prickly, but he's a good guy, and he's a musician. And I called him and I told him all about this stuff. And I said, blah, 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 blah. He's a really great artist, really unusual. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Ron, uh, by the way, um, uh, <laughs> you have to let me explain. And I will explain after I tell you. But the title of the song is Shit Damn Motherfucker. No. You just had to <laughs> wow. do that, didn't you? Uh, 
And no, I didn't want to mess with him, you know, and have him come in for that. Was and I tried to explain, I, I don't know what he is, but he said, in nobody's book, is that a good phrase to me, motherfucker? So, wow. no. Um, and I tried to explain to him, I mean, it's, it's sort of a woe is me thing. It's somebody with their head in their hands saying, oh, no, how did this happen to me? He's not calling anybody else that, but it didn't matter. He's on smooth, though, right? Uh, no, Larry Grenadier, who's fantastic, is on smooth. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I love that song. Nobody, you know, people sleep on that song. I love Smooth. Oh, not yeah. a bad song on that record. No, it's not. It's not. It's great. I uh, uh, I shouldn't tell. I'll wait till D gets here to, to tell, tell the, the when we get by <laughs> story. <laughs> Did I reveal that on so the board? Wait, hold on, hold on. If we're, if we're going to get D in here, it's going to be like 20, 20. I already booked him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I already booked him. He booked uh, him for three ago. years ago, so yeah. he'll show up next month. <laughs> no. Sorry, D. We oh. love you, D. What were, we, what were you Big saying, uh, Steve? Oh, so who ended up playing bass on Shit Damn? Um, dun, 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 dun. I just thought of that. I didn't actually have a question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it might have been Larry Grenadier. It might have been D's sample bass, because he was really good at that. I mean, the stuff he got out of the EPS-16 was really good. It sounded great. You know something? What? Still has the God. same. He still Who has fixes the same. it? Who fixes it? Ben. <laughs> you know, he's we, a, we, we did a show. Still has the same floppy disks. He is such a technophobe, man. Not real. I mean, he has new stuff, especially like a BlackBerry or a flip phone. <laughs> he has an iPhone. You got a you're, wait, you got a you're talking about ASR 10. What did, what did you say? E EP, uh, EPS 16. It was a precursor That's to ASR 10. That's the Insonic. But, but the, the architecture is the same. Yeah. So, so he, that was before the ASR 10? Yeah. He has, a, he has the same brown sugar stuff in his apartment right now. Yeah. Like the same floppy guys, disc. that's the mark of a great artist. You know, they can sing Mary Had a Little Lamb, and you go, oh, my God. You know, it doesn't matter what they have. There's such, they have such a strong stamp as an artist that they could use the most primitive thing in the world. And you go, oh my God, that's so cool. It's, right? like, it's like all those times I used to say, you know, like listen to Luther Vandross sing the telephone book. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Where did the road sound come from that's on that? It sounds like it's underwater. It was mostly out of his EPS. We really? call it. We, we, we call it the flying jet patch. We uh, Why? we use I don't know. It's we awesome. use some we use some live roads, and also if you put a roads in a, they used to be called a pan scan. It was actually an analog piece of gear that pans something back and forth really fast. You can do it in the box now too, and it gives the road kind of like a, a vibrato, watery yeah. kind of sound. Yeah, still has it. Yeah, it's like a dripping awesome. water sound. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, he calls it flying V. Okay. Um, he calls that his flying V. Um, Why V? Like guitar? Flying V. I, I don't know. Okay. But it's it's always. And his flying guitar. Put up a flying V patch. You know. So did he create that patch himself? Or is that a sound in the. Both. He did a lot of editing to stock sounds. Yeah. 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 But again, I mean, he could take anything. He could take the most primitive, silly sounding thing and do something incredibly cool. Makes it you his. You know that. Yeah. I'm my witness to that. All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. So you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? 
Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Wait, wait, while we're on this subject, I got I got a, a phone call last week uh, that was painful to get, which was uh, yet another illustrious New York City Studio is shutting down. Yeah, yeah. And which one is it this time? Which MSR. 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 Oh wow. Yeah, I, I keep moving my equipment from studio to studio, mm. studio to studio. Um, and even wh- where do we do a Hamilton? Avatar. I was at Avatar and heard about MSR. Sad. And Avatar is shutting down too. Right? Well, well, Avatar is selling. They're, they're not, waiting they're not to. Up. They're waiting to find a person who has enough money to keep it a studio. You know, the footprint of the building is worth, you know, 50 times as much as it is as a building now in the studio. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. my question is, yeah. you know, now that studios are, are becoming a relic of yesteryear, I mean, t- to work with you is to, you know, to see you send these massive cases to the studio, like working on Commons, uh, like water for chocolate record, like you send these giant, I big rats. property, property of Bob Power, like <laughs> like my cartage was five hundred bucks just to get the stuff there, you know, yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, you you were carrying a lot of outboard gear, yep. yep. But yep. I guess in in the middle of of the decade, did you eventually just start? doing Pro Tools and Pro Tools only? or No, I made a commitment to becoming a better-in-the-box mixer about eight or nine years ago, and not because of commerce, because that actually that's why I should have done it, because I saw what was going on. Um, I just saw what technology was becoming and realized that did I want to be in step with technology or not, and I love technology. So, uh, so you had to learn all over again? No, no, no. Um, I just said you can be – I've been mixing on consoles for years. I did that okay. 
I said I could be a better in the box mixer, so I just started. And uh, I love it. I wouldn't look back. I'm in my own room all the time. I almost never see my clients like Amir. It's fantastic. Um, Where's your room? You you have a room? Oh, yeah, yeah. Steve Adabo, Shelter Island Sound, has a um, medium-sized room on 27th Street. I have the other side of the floor. We found the floor together. He did a lot of early Suzanne Baker and Sean Colvin and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, I have my own room, and anything I record with one microphone, I got a great microphone collection. I got great mic priests. We put up the microphone in the room, going headphones. Uh, and I'm really, really happier as a practitioner now than I've ever been. I, if I never set foot in a big studio again, it's fine. I know it sounds weird. You don't miss it at all? No. No. Not the fruit plates and the... You know what's funny? <laughs> I always made jokes about that. When I first got really comfortable in my own place, I the first thing I would say to people, I said, you know what? I thought I'd miss the fruit basket. The fruit basket, man. <laughs> I, yeah, but... Um, Do you know what it means? To, I mean, the fruit basket is... Yeah, but yeah. he can bring in his own fruit. You know, to his to his room, um, but it's almost like it's art. It's like an amenity better. from a hotel. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. <laughs> it's like somebody else's clean towels. It's really nice. Um, but my mixing situation, my speakers, I sit in exactly the same position every day. The, the, you know, I don't have to move from studio to studio. I love it. My results, my work is better than ever, man. And I I still use an analog chain on my stereo mix, but all the individual things, no inserts, just Pro Tools. Okay, so how did you decide to, you know, bring teaching into the foray? Like, how- uh, NYU approached me about eight or nine years ago, and I started out as an adjunct teaching a class here and there. And, again, my mother gets around. They must have talked to my mother. No, not <laughs> oh, like right that, man. Day. No, not it's like that. I knew, <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. No, I, I just feel like your mom should be the next guest. On <laughs> She's, the right, right? She's a shill. She's a shill for me. But um, they made me a professor a couple of years ago. And, you know, I'm still working on the outside. I'm about 30 40% of my work is still mixing. Now, um, what, what are you teaching there? Uh, everything production. Uh, I consider myself a utility infielder. Like, if they need me a third base, I can do it. I teach the sophomore production class with my associate and boss, Nick Sensano, who's great. He's been doing He worked with... Public Enemy. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, my, he's my next guy that I'm going to death. Uh, it's really great. I mean, imagine after a lifetime in the record business to be in a position where the only reason you're there is to help people. That's all. Wow. You know... Uh, you don't get paid more if you do better, you know, It's or you, if you have a hit. Uh, so it's great. Um, but are it, they interested in the level of production that you are, is your forte, the, the, the non-microwave production? The, yeah, well. Because now kids are just using, like, Fruity Loops and Right, and, and able to. But stuff. they make yeah. a jam, though. But, like, yeah, I that's know right, that, yeah. guys. The, the same principles hold true. It doesn't matter how you get well, there. How you get there, yeah. You know, I teach. They have me in positions teaching the things that I know how to do. Analog recording, all things recording, um, mixing. I teach an arranging class that I developed, which is fantastic, because, as you know, the biggest problem in most people's records is bad arranging chops. So it's great. It's great. 
Uh, man, I, I need to enter this class. <laughs> well, you know, guys, as a my grooves are great, but uh, no, as a mixer, eh. you know, if the record's well arranged, it's great to mix. If it's badly arranged, you're just fighting that the whole time. And in the modern world, the arrangement is as much your choice of instrument and the timbre of that instrument as it is the part you're playing. I mean, it's not 1962 anymore. We do things really differently. There so, was a, a a girl I was uh, watching. Uh, the thing you did uh, we brought Pharrell in and had him listen right. to the Maggie Rogers yeah. one of my students oh was that you that was you oh okay oh yeah Maggie is also yeah. one of my she, star students yeah she's great she's yeah. fucking dope um, you know the world has completely flipped for Maggie I mean the hits are off the charts there's a feeding frenzy uh, going on right now trying to get her wow. signed yeah. um, and Maggie's has a real good head on her shoulders and she won't be swayed by all that stupid shit that comes her way she's uh and you know what i have to say that there's any number of students that are just as cool as that we have people doing just the coolest thing there's something that people heard in maggie's voice uh you know she almost sounds like Joni mitchell singing over electronica Mm -hmm. uh but yeah and it just sounded like her i mean i I really like what pharrell said in the sense that it was singular. Like, he couldn't even give notes on it because... It didn't sound like anything else. It didn't sound like nothing else. It it was really her own world. But I have to say, a lot of students there are doing incredibly cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. This this is the the first year in which I I felt intimidated uh, by some of my students. Like, okay, I I need to learn from you. Like, I'm taking this job so you can teach me stuff that I don't know. <laughs> Listen, that's part like, of the teaching, do, man. Do they do that to you sometimes a, and try to circle. test you? No, they don't test me. I mean, like, do they know about your history and that stuff? Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. And and the classroom to me, and I'm really serious about this, is a 360 degree thing. Um, it the information flows both ways, and if both parties aren't super engaged while we're in there, what a fucking waste of time. You know, not just a waste of my time, waste of their time. Um, so it's great. The students are great. The people I work with are fantastic. Uh, first real job I've ever had. First time I've ever gotten a pay- <laughs> regular paycheck from any company other than my own. Um, and, uh, yeah, I still get to work. And they actually, Tish, the arts division at uh, NYU, wants you to stay active in the field. So I, uh, I need to work, and I still enjoy working. But uh, just because it's school and in theory I'm full time there that's my first responsibility do do they make you turn in a massive syllabus at the top of the year oh yeah like, I, I've had to write syllabi yeah. <laughs> and the plural because I still think like they're just saying syllabi and it it's the syllabi. weirdest word in the world to say you feel like you're a jerk syllabi but, yeah yeah it is syllabi okay I thought that was just like me to make sure that I knew I knew what, what no, I was doing no um, no it's real my health teacher in uh, in college used it that was the first place I heard it it was right after he was discussing gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> it was in my human health and sexuality class. Wait a minute, man. My shit is itching. <laughs> I think syphilis and syllabi are spelled exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah. Syphilis. There's like one word, word, one letter. It's a totally different word. So what, what is your goal when you... What, what is your mission to... When you do teach this class? Because the thing I, I... I enjoy about teaching is the enlightening part of, of things. And it's the small things that enlighten them the most and really engage them. But, you know, I hate the whole idea of, like, I have to quiz them on this and no, that's finals. Bullshit. and That's bullshit. And I say it the first day, look, you know, I don't believe in grades, but this is NYU. 
So we got to do things a certain way. If you're not here because you really want to engage with this material, you're spending a lot of money. And, you know, I mean, I don't diss people or anything or blow them out, but um, that's, I, I believe really in that we're all discovering this stuff together. It sounds, I know it sounds like I was from the 60s, and I am. Cool. <laughs> but yeah. no, I love the process of <laughs> saying that. You know, <laughs> discovering things yeah. with them. You know. All right. I. Yeah, I, I believe the same thing, but you still have to give uh, grades. Which yeah, and that's – I'm not even going to get into that. It's a I try to be, man. I try to be really uh, objective about it. I try to take what I like and don't like out of the equation. So I have this big spreadsheet that's just based really on, you know, whether they show up, whether they participate, whether they finish the assignments, whether they did this, did that. And it's totally by the numbers. What so, I was going to ask you, what so what is the difference between – you know, someone like a Maggie that like shines and then just those kids that kind of flame out. Like what, what do you see? There is no difference. You know, some people, the, the most, almost all of the students that are there do something that's really, really cool. As you know, having the perseverance to stick it out for the long run, um, not get sidetracked, you know. Are you aware of the effect that you have on them as like a mentor? Cause I find that, th I have, I don't know how you feel about this, but like I had teachers, two of them particularly when I was in high school, that were totally instrumental in my life. And I feel like teaching, once it gets down to it, is one of the most important things people like us can do. I mean, yeah, I tend to sort of not think too much of myself, so <laughs> I try to keep that thing out of it. But no, uh, listen, if uh, there's one uh, thing, if there's one thing, if there's two things I can teach them is be a decent human being and uh, engage, engage with what you do. I, I won't say be serious. I say if you're here and you're doing it, engage. It's like playing music. You know, you're not sitting there playing the chart like this. You got to engage with the music. Um, so that those are the things that... that what about the decent human being part? Can that be optional? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, do you no, really want to be in this class? <laughs> so you that can guy. I... Do you, that guy. do you tell them and encourage them Because uh, I, I believe it or not, I I do that okay. now. I tell them to mix at reasonable volumes. You know, your ears do really funky things when you listen to loud music for a long time, and they lie to you. So if you can mix at volumes, I turn it up every once in a while to check shit. I got a sub. I check the bottom. I'm mastering now, so I've got to. Um, if you can, uh, you master your own stuff. Oh yeah, isn't that yeah, dangerous wow. though? Sometimes, but most of the time it's good. I've gotten really good. So you don't good. think you need fresh ears to sometimes I do film a school, but but you know people want a deal. Couldn't so get her name I, out. I cut, I cut it all in. <laughs> you tried Wait, did you think of Joe Raspo when I said that? <laughs> the name I'm you never say. Yeah, Bill also is Thank the Joe Raposo of of Sesame Street. So and I always butcher up Joe Raposo's name. So film a school maker was who I was referring Joe to. Joe Raposo was a brilliant guy. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I encourage them to mix that volume sort of like you're talking to somebody from two feet away. Okay. That's where your speakers are going to be the most accurate. And the biggest part of it is you obviate the negative effects of the room. If the speakers aren't very loud, the back of the room is not going to be bouncing around at you. So that's a big deal. So what Bob and I are explaining to you, Quest Love Supremers, that are like scratching your head right now, is um, uh, if, if you look on discogs.com uh, and you – turn up uh look up bob powers uh name 
you'll see a lot of uh, variations of nicknames that I've given him on various Roots albums, such as Mixed by Bob. Guys, I really can't hear the mix. <laughs> guys, Bob. Guys, I really, really need to hear this, guys. And Bob, it's bad enough that it's now 5.46 a.m. I do, do I have to pull it off with the talking guys? Power. Anyway, my, my point is that... He left out to shut the fuck up one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob taught me that the best mixes... Um, if, if, if your mix sounds awesome on shitty speakers... Uh, I mean, that's why studios speakers like Genelix or, or NST, Yamaha NS10s, yeah, yeah. um, they were there to give you, even Thriller uh, was last minute mixed on like a clock radio speaker. Billy Jean was done like on the cheapest speaker that Bruce Wadeen could, could get uh, because if it sounds great on bad speakers, then it'll sound awesome once you have it on Great speakers. Great one speakers. Of, one of the early engineers I worked with when I was scoring TV, we always talk about, what's a good mix? What's a good mix? And he's now a nuclear physicist, by the way. He got smart. <laughs> but he said, he said the best thing I've ever heard anybody say. He said, a good mix is something that doesn't sound too terrible anywhere. Ah. Right? Yeah. You're right. Well, there's a generation now. Um, I mean, I, I won't throw him under the bus, but I've, I've had... A few conversations with 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 Kanye's people um, about their engineering tactics, which you know, I feel like his music. <laughs> I feel like his music is made for. No, this is my point. When I saw the Yeezus show at MSG, and I happened to be mm, within twenty feet of the speakers, then I realized, oh, all these songs were created with. This being the the end game, the the concert, the 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 near colonic level of how the low end was rumbling my stomach, and I got it. And I also imagined, so you know, I would ask him like, when you guys mix this stuff, do you you know, the guys would shake their heads like, you won't imagine the level of loudness that he makes the speakers when he's engineering in the studios. And I was like, well, I always thought you were supposed to mix it quiet, and especially because most of us consume our music now on. MacBook Pros and these, you know, tiny computer speakers, you would think that whenever I listen to, you know, his stuff on iPods or my computer, I'm indifferent to the music. And it affects how I perceive that record. But then when I hear it on big-ass speakers, then I'm like, oh, damn, I I might like this. Listen, just about anything sounds good when you crank it. You I was going to say, didn't you, the, the didn't, visceral, you just, didn't you just say that loud musical, your ears will lie to you? If anything your ears out? lie to you, and also, you know, <laughs> oh, mix, so you're saying, no, but this is the deal. A really good mix should hold up at a bunch of different right, volume right, levels. Right, right, right. The the musical balances <laughs> and tonal balances should stay somewhat the same. <laughs> all and four of my codes are looking at me like they want to shoot. The, <laughs> nah, bro. They all shaking their heads like, you sucker. I agree. I'm just saying, you know, if 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 when you play music loud and your, your ears start playing tricks on you, kind of explains the last 15 years of club hits. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's real. Well, yeah, I assume that nowadays people just mix it loud and don't give a regard to... It's just going to get played in the club. Inferior, which you would think that most people would mix for their uh, iPhones, their cheap car systems. <laughs> yeah, but also if items. somebody says to me, I really want this to, to pop on the radio, I'll go a certain direction with it. You know, it's just, uh, but again, I, in a perfect world, you want something that sounds pretty good everywhere. And yeah, yeah. 
Do you still not hard pan your bass? That's another lesson you taught me. You said that the groove in the record will skip. Yeah, yeah. That's an old record thing. You never put anything with a lot of bottom on one side because when the needle has to make the big excursion, it'll pop over into the next groove. That's an old school thing. Um, same thing with sibilance. You know, the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues in modern records to me, mixing, is people don't DS enough. The fucking S's on the vocals will take the enamel off your teeth. Um, yeah, stuff like that, you know, whatever. Is I, anyone thinking of Tom Hanks right now? Is there a DSer plugin? Do they have a DSer plugin? Oh, are you serious? Several. Yeah. There's a gazillion of them. And the cool thing is you can make them do anything you want. I love the digital world, man. I, you know, people say, you miss the way things used to be. I say, yeah, I miss the budgets. That's all I miss. Everything You can get so much closer to what you want to hear now. Uh, Am I allowed to ask you what was your cha-ching moment? Like, what was your, whoa, how my, much? My biggest payday? Yeah. Like, I don't mean the exact amount, but like, what was your, we really want you to do this record, Bob Power. Um, you know, I had management for all that time, and he was just making my deals and shit. So, um, but you know, as a producer, you know, and I, I, this is one of the things I teach my students is that you don't get paid a cent. I mean, you get paid advances, but until the record company makes their money back, you don't get paid your royalties. But say they make their money back after they sell 150,000 records. Well, one of the things you want in your contract is that you get paid from record one. You know, you don't want to get paid from record 150,000 at one. So the first check is always big. Mm. Oh, come on, man. You know what, Bob? Uh, the reason why I have 16 I know. Jobs. He never touches his own money. He says, I never look at my own money. I have people around me to do that for me. No, no, no. Well, yes. And um, I know. Seriously, I never touch my record money because it's, it's not. It's like paper money i mean we sell respectively but I, I i don't know if it's a good thing that dj quest love is monetarily more valuable than quest love has ever been as a studio musician or a producer or a drummer you know but i, I, don't, I don't mean culturally speaking i'm just saying that i kind of live a life now where like my value is my monetary value is in places other than where you thought, which is kind of a mindfuck, which just made me the the equivalent of Bob Power engineer. I was about to say oh, that's no, like man. the story for everybody, man. I think yeah, that's that's, that's my which, thing. The thing guys, that hits is not all, a lot of times it's not the thing that you think or that you may have thought it was going to be. But do you resist to, it or do you embrace it? No, like, wanting to make a lot of money is not a reasonable peace. objective. I think uh, <laughs> no, honestly. Being able to live decently and decently and do what you love with people you really like, that's the payoff. Nah, that's real. Oh, you just turn it back to Kumbaya moment, Bob Power. <laughs> hey man, the sixties, no, you know, I went talk. to high school in the So 60s, okay, what is what is your I favorite? play the fuck out of Kumbaya, man. I play the <laughs> funkiest Kumbaya you have ever. Kumbaya. <laughs> What, what's your Speaking favorite? Of which you've seen that Jackie Wilson thing when he's live on television. You guys ever seen live clips of Jackie Wilson? Oh my God! Because he sings stuff that's kind of like Kumbaya, really? but he is so incredible. Not like Kumbaya, but um, I will now look it up. Your love keeps lifting me. Love you you got to see this clip. He's I've, doing it live on television. You could have made a record out of it. It would have been great. I'm I'm on it. I will look. I got to know. 
what is your your own personal desert island disc like if when all said and done what is your artistic crowning achievement i'm by power and i did it wouldn't be one of my own records man it wouldn't be one of my own records it would it would be Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald duets. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm as far as your achievement, you. your achievement is concerned, like what are you most proud of having done? The last day of whatever session it I'm was. I'm proud like, of being Phew. a decent human being and doing decent work, man. Come on, Bob, you. man. Are you always this goddamn positive? Sixties, yeah. man. No, 60s. What, what's really going on? You know, he's really a dick, but he's trying to save it now. He's trying to save it, but what a dick he no, is. No, I don't man. want Those the bad stories. People. But I'm just saying, like, you know, a, a crowning achievement. Like, okay, I did that. Uh, there's a lot of, man, every record I ever worked with, I love, worked on, I love. I'm serious, man. It's like oh, your favorite okay. breath of air. Your, oh, your no, roots. They're all your children. Ones. The Roots, every Roots record would be on my, my Dude, I was that. even hinting. I forgot you worked on the Roots record. <laughs> sure you did, man. Sure no, you did. No, I'm thinking, like, what? Midnight Marauders? No, no. I Honest to God, I love Every record I've ever. Oh, what's the record? Okay, maybe no. What's the record? I'm curious to know. What's the record that, and hell, maybe all of them could fall in this category. Like something that you finished that maybe you didn't think you were gonna finish. Like something that the process was really. I can say really that. Hard. Brown sugar. <laughs> Thank you. Can we move on now? <laughs> 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 okay, maybe 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 this might clear up Amir's question better. Um, if you had to listen to one song that you worked on right now, which song would you choose? Like gun to your head, Bob. You have to pull, play one of your songs right the now. The song from Comfort Woman that Chris Dave plays on. Uh, Love song number one. Is that it? Um, where the drums start out really far away mm-hmm. and then they come towards you. Right. It's mm-hmm. like a up tempo mm-hmm. reggae thing. Okay. Yeah. Like the opening song. Is it? Um, really, kind of really reggae flavored. Yeah, I know. I, I can't think of the name because the name's on the. I think those, it's love song. Yeah, it's his love song number one. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. I'm trying to yeah, get Fonte to stop track. singing into the I microphone. Know. I'm saying, all right. <laughs> so your your Michelle work is your. No, I'm serious, man. I I like <laughs> the things I do with everybody. All right, you know. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Was there a project that you work on that, that got deep six and should have came out? I can't name names. Prince. I've had records that people have redone, which is no, you know, anybody who's a producer knows that sometimes you make a record, sometimes people don't like it, and they redo it. You got to live with it. It's like being a musician. But I've had records that have been redone where the redone one was really bad. Uh, yeah. Not a remix, but no, no, just redo. You mean one of those record. iTunes gag records? No, iTunes <laughs> like a like a playover. Like oh a, my God, I hate that. <laughs> oh my mic. Yo, yeah, like you'll go to Heat Wave. And then like, oh, it's like they re-recorded the song. I got, like, I fell for black, like Black Ivory, redid. They like, did you and I. They redid you and, and I. I. It's I brought, horrible. It's fucking horrible. But I bought the album. Yeah, I brought the bad album. version. Was spinning in concerts. Like, how come Tips version don't sound like this? <laughs> but let's and talk. Tips like, yo, that that's not the version. They redid it. Like, <laughs> I fell for that shit. Let's talk about real Desert Island. Any records I wanted to, Earth, Wind, and Fire's greatest hits in the Superfly soundtrack. Oh, it wow. does not get any better than I'm those. I'm not complaining with that. Freddie's dad is like, Ooh. possibly one of the pinnacles of funk music. Give What's me a love. That scares me. That Why? Um. Having heard Freddie's Dead when I was two, oh. when the modulation goes to the horn thing, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, scares this. Sh- I can't, <laughs> can't say, can't you can't, say. We can't say nothing on it. I want, I want to see the mission statement that says I'm not allowed to sing on my own goddamn radio show. <laughs> I like that it's a mission statement, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. As, as opposed to it's like not some a legal contract. It's no, because Bill, Bill be coming off like the principal in Back to the Future, like <laughs> I'm a, a slacker. No, I, uh, when I was a kid, that that modulation used to always scary. A lot of modulations always yeah. scared. <laughs> Hall and Oates, right? The uh, what about the oh big, god? The, what the about build the middle up, the, of what's going on? <laughs> they they go like to a tritone away. Does if that it, just... if it modulated, and not Golden Lady by Stevie, but like uh, in in that's the one thing they cut out of my Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech when I inducted Hall and Oates. Was, you know, the end of seas going where it stays in the snow, and then it goes here, mm-hmm. and then by that point oh, I'd, be under, that, the, no, I'd no. be under the, like the blankets. Like that's some Hollywood <laughs> shit right there. You know, that's the cheap shot. You know, go up a half step each time in yeah. the out chorus. That's like a harp gliss going into a new section. <laughs> well, you know, that it's what I call the sucker punch of orchestration. Yeah. I would turn oh, whenever she's whenever she's gone came on when I was a kid. I turn on all the lights. <laughs> I I never thought that. Oh, that, I wasn't allowed to t- touch my dad's radio. So, you know, I'd I never knew the, that. Modulation scares me. I never knew that. Is it still now? Modulate all the time, right? You know what else scares me? And I know <laughs> Bill, uh, Steve wants me to tell this story. You ever watch Tic-Tac-Doe? <laughs> Tic-Tac-Doe, no. Long time ago. I remember There's a game show. There's an adventure called television. <laughs> 
There's a game show called Tic Tac Doe. Tic Tac Doe. I remember that show. Okay. Speaking. Uh, well, whenever you pick the center square, they give you a two part question. And then sort of scary Jeopardy music to give you 30 seconds to think it over. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I know you're talking Scared about. Scared the I know Jesus. I remember that. I remember that. Guys, I got to tell you about this building. My dad was a television producer in the '50s and '60s, and we moved from uh, Chicago when I was four, in like '53 or four and '55. And I was in one of the studios here because he did Mr. Wizard. You guys don't remember. I remember Mr. Science. Wizard. Yeah. Mr. Wizard. Wait a minute. How do you know Mr. Wizard, but <laughs> no, you don't know? I remember Mr. Wizard. Wink Martindale. With Fonte's Wizard. 22. I'm, <laughs> I remember. Now, this was, was this the Mr. Wizard that was on, uh, what you call it, right? That was How on, many were there? Well, on NBC you know the villains from What's Happening, but you don't know Tic Tac Toe. I probably don't know if I see it. So I just remember Mr. Wizard because, like, Mr. Wizard, I would watch it, and he would do experiments and stuff. And yeah. it was just like, well, and I would try to do it, but I never had none of the shit that you needed Anyway, to do. I was in this building in the studio <laughs> like, like when I was five it. years old, and I got kicked out because I had a cold, and I kept, ca- kept coughing. My mother had to take me out of the studio. Oh, so this is my triumphant return <laughs> Thank to the you, NBC Bob studio. So it all comes back to Bob Power's mom. All right. <laughs> in, in reading your wiki page, Bob, just the things like studied classical composition and uh, a master's degree in jazz. Now, when when you started working, that was awesome. <laughs> eat a Chinese peanut or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they all discussed. Seaweed rep peanuts. Hell no. So like this this knowledge of classical music and jazz, and then and then suddenly you're in the world of samplers and Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and and the. So now I'm, I watch I watch Quest sampling a lot and and he's tuning his samples. Mm-hmm. So now, did you bring a lot of that stuff to hip hop? Yes and no. Making uh, sampling more musical. Yes, when we had to, but no because I also realized that the ethic was often contrary to that, and I didn't want to fuck it up. But the low end theory. I mean, we spent a lot, a lot of time on stuff like that, like tuning and timing and things like that. I get my my more general question though is like, how did you apply? your real-world classical and jazz experience to those projects? There's different gigs, man. If you're on a jazz gig, you play jazz. If, if you're on a, a polka gig, you play the polka. So you didn't? So you No, I, I wanted to help the people realize their vision. It was not about me. I guess I'm asking if you apply that stuff to the world of sampling. You, I think everybody, every practitioner in the world applies everything they've ever seen to everything they do. You know, there was no direct line. There wasn't any straight lines. But of course, yeah, yeah, I think so. Because they were using a lot of jazz samples. Yeah, I mean, it's musical sensibilities, that's all. Um, which but, is why the drums are always so loud. But they were, then the stuff they were bringing to you, that they were bringing to the sessions that they had done prior, did you find that that stuff was already the way they wanted it? To Sometimes. Be? So if some, we had to work. You know, early on, especially before technology caught up, we had to tweak things a lot. Yeah. So, uh, Amir, like, uh, in a lot of hip-hop, there's this intentional clashing going on. Right. Uh, and, then, and then there's this whole idea of tuning the samples so that they make more musical sense. So where is that? That was, in? I believe that's Bob's entry. Now, with um, uh, Nick Sassano, 
who works with Bob at NYU. Um, I work with him, but yeah. Being the uh, works, he's my boss. Okay. What a prick. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Nick. Love you, guy. <laughs> I was like, clean that up. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So, Nick Sassano's, uh You know his 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 the beauty in in his work was it was like throw everything on the wall and see what happens. And you know Nick did practically every Bomb Squad associated mm-hmm. album from Nation of Millions to Fear of a Black Planet to. Do America's Most Wanted. They do. Yes, he did Son of Berserk and Young Black Teenagers. And a side note, um, Nick said that they would pre-sequence all their things. Like, they did no fading and no cuts. Was Nothing was pro- automated. Was so everything was pre-programmed. Wow. Wow. And I got to see the, 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 the note production note sheets from Nation of Millions and, like, I mean, they were literally like at four minutes and thirty-two point five seconds. Here comes the one, two, three, four, five, six. Kick it from yeah. bassheads uh-huh. to like they pre-programmed everything. So as you heard it, that's how it was. Like, wow. so that's why Eric Sattler gets a lot of a lot of praise there. But yeah, I mean, your entry was basically to strip it down and to bring it forth, and it made it louder. I guess the less elements you have. Now Nick's mixes are crowded and noisier, right? But everything's compressed and small. But that's also PE, you know. Like, guys, what I do is exactly like being a musician. And you play the gig. You don't play your chops. You play the gig. You get there. You suss out what the music's playing, and you play the music. You don't play your own shit, you know. So you never head scratch once, like when you first did. Oh, a lot. Electrical relaxations, like where's the fourth bar? A or? lot, a lot. <laughs> but you know that's part of learning, man. You see, it's incumbent upon one as a practitioner to kind of understand the ethic of the music that's going on. You, you don't make it come to you. You have to go to it. Such a wise man. Okay, I'm old. Uh, another thing, Bob. Bob. Um, do you have the what? cane out there? Did I leave my cane in the hall? <laughs> it's next to your walker. It's off oh, the I'm drooling that cane. again. <laughs> no, Bob, when you uh, worked on Low End Theory, mm-hmm. that was awesome. <laughs> okay, Bob, you you could I I could keep you for another twelve hours, but um, let's come back and do it again. Yeah, let's save some for three years from now. <laughs> Bob, I I want to thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate everything that you've done for music, for me, and for the culture. Hashtag for the culture. I can say exactly the same about you. Thank you, man. I I appreciate it. All right. Uh, I always feel the need to end these shows with lessons. What did we learn from Bob Powell? We learned that we will never hear any conflict stories of none of his artists. Never. <laughs> never. If you work with Bob Power, I think your yeah. reputation is safe. <laughs> your your secrets, secrets are safe. Are safe. Yeah. Well, yeah. he won't allow you to do anything uh, salacious in his studio sessions anyway. That's so, good. you know, I was hoping to get like one, you know, leaders of the new school tribe fight story or <laughs> something, but that, that wasn't happening. Class act, Bob Power. Class act. He, he is. Protects protect, protect the sources. And his, his mom, mom, mom as well. Uh, yeah, so shout out to, uh, I learned that Bob Power uh, protects all of his clients uh, and loves them very, very much. Um, what else did we learn? He also gives them 
most of the, all the credit for all the work. Yeah. Took you know, really kept emphasizing yeah, really that. Unselfish. Yeah, he kind of made me feel important when I knew good and well that you know Bob was making all like Bob would never let you touch a button. Like you would have to present a case, get a lawyer, <laughs> just to add a little, just to add a little reverb to a song. It was like, I don't know if it calls for that, Amir. Anyway, uh, this is Questlove of Questlove Supreme. Be safe, ladies and gentlemen. I hope to see you next. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.